millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As you guys can see, I have no lips whatsoever, so I'm really excited for that to change and I can't wait to get my lips done. I've been waiting for this for like months now. Today and this week, I am basically gonna be like taking you guys through a little bit of a self transformation. You wanna be able to prevent and prolong the aging process as opposed to reverse it because reversal is a lot harder than prevention and that is the key. A lot of people don't know this. And I just want to let you guys know that if you start preventing- Over the past few years, cosmetic procedures among many young women have become very popular. Dermal fillers, which are used to give women fuller and plumper lips, are in particularly high demand, as Irish Times Features writer Jennifer O'Connell has been finding out. There's a treatment called the Russian lip that's really popular now, and it's all about sort of lifting up the lips to use what's already there, to use the skin that's already there, but expose more of the of the inner lip and, and kind of pinning it back so you get a very sort of plumped up look from the front. I have a lip, like my gums don't all show. I'm just so happy with how it turned out. I feel like it looks so like natural. Like you wouldn't look at me and be like, that girl has her lips done. But I'm literally so happy. But this growing popularity in changing the way our faces look is not without its risks. The problems start, I think, when it's being used by people who aren't qualified and who don't understand the very complex sort of physiology of the face. And the questions also arise about where it's being sourced and, and, and where they're finding it. So what is driving this surge in demand for fillers? And where are these young women turning to for information and inspiration on these treatments? So, you know, if you go on to somebody somewhere like Facebook and you look up fillers, you'll see lip fillers, under eye fillers, chin implants, nose fillers. The, some of these treatments are incredibly cheap for not much more than the cost of probably a night out. You can pop in somewhere at lunchtime and come out with, with a whole new face. And some of the people who are advertising it on Facebook will say things like that. They'll say, you know, change your face over your lunch break. I'm Sarah Hapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today we look at the explosion in popularity of cosmetic treatments among young women and ask what risks are involved when it comes to changing the structure of your face. Jen, what prompted you to start looking into this topic? 
Sirica, I suppose I kind of got interested. I I use Instagram. I don't post a lot on Instagram, but, you know, I kind of like going on there. And I started to notice, I suppose, what you would call kind of a melding of the facial features of some of the younger women on Instagram. So there was almost like this aesthetic emerging and it was about body shape and it was about the way they dress, but it was also increasingly about their faces. So you would see younger women and they would have quite strong uh, jawlines and quite prominent chins and very, very big lips, a straight nose, perfect skin and very big lashes and very, very defined eyebrows. Um, And it just struck me as really interesting. It was like, where is this coming from and how are they all achieving this look? Because I suppose every generation has its um, aesthetic. When I was growing up in the 1990s, it was a very kind of a almost a boyish look. And my friends and I will talk about now how we went to discos in the 90s. And I think you know, even to nightclubs. We were wearing these big fisherman's rib jumpers and Levi 501s or maybe a rugby shirt if we wanted to be really kind of cool and like Doc Martin boots and really thick socks. Um, so I'm not for a minute saying that that was kind of the desirable aesthetic, but that was the look that my generation would have gone for. And now I think that there's a look that's emerged that's really much more glam. Hi, so I'd been feeling ugly and insecure, so I decided it was time to glow up. I got filler injected into my face, two rounds of eyelash extensions, the thickest hair extensions you'll ever see, tanned way more than I should, all in an attempt to look better. But as one of the people that I interviewed for this article that, that I wrote for the Irish Times, Dr. Shoon Murphy, who's a consultant plastic surgeon at the Blackrock Clinic said, you know, she made the point to me that if you walk into the National Gallery of Ireland, you will see shapes and sizes, you know, that that will show you that we celebrate beauty in all different ways throughout the ages. And, And it's wonderful to see that changing and evolving. And of course, our daughter's generation shouldn't like the same things that their their parents liked. But when it enters into a a medical realm where people are actually undergoing semi-permanent or even just temporary procedures, but with semi-permanent effects, then it becomes a little bit more worrying. And when that medical realm is not properly policed and when it's not regulated, then it's kind of alarming. So I suppose that was kind of the starting point for me. It was like, where is this aesthetic coming from? And how um, how is it that I'm seeing so many young women who sort of look like each other? It's almost like the trend now is to not just dress like your friend, but to have a similar face to your friend. So I was curious about how that was being achieved and I was wondering where it was coming from and where these treatments are happening and, and how much we know about, about the safety of them. So can you tell me a little bit about these cosmetic procedures that young women are getting to make their faces look the same? What what are they buying into? So I suppose the most obvious one is the lips. And that's the one that I think caught my eye first. And, and I think if you know, if you're on social media at all, you can't have missed that there has been this this movement towards uh, towards much bigger lips. Lashes have been another thing, you know, and that's obviously very temporary. You can just stick your lashes on for a night out and take them off. Eyebrows have become much more defined and, and often much more beautiful, actually, than um, than they would have been in, a, in the 1990s when I plucked my eyebrows to within an inch of their life and they haven't <laughs> recovered. Um, but I, I, uh, as Dr. Shoon Murphy put it to me, um, she describes a look as very voluptuous, almost Jessica Rabbit-like. Tiny waist, the massive breasts, the massive bum, the big lips, the high cheekbones. Um, it's, it's a very done look. So um, how it translates, I suppose, into what we're seeing here, and, and Irish women seem to have gone for this in a really big way, Irish women and girls. So they're sort of, they're, they're, getting, they're getting dermal filler and they're getting it in places like in their lips, they're getting it in their chin, they're getting it in their jawline. 
they're getting it in what's called the marionette lines or the smile lines. Um, they're getting it in, in, in the side of their eyes. Increasingly, um, they're getting it in their tear troughs, which is a, a very risky place, actually, to, to inject dermal filler unless it's being done by somebody extremely experienced. Um, and they're getting it in, it's called a non-surgical rhinoplasty. So they're getting it in the sides of their nose and that's to create sort of a straighter um, profile. And again, that's that's quite high risk. Once you start getting near the eye area, the risks go up. What is in this filler? What is in this stuff that people are injecting into their faces? So most uh, filler that we see now, it's called kind of dermal filler. You'll hear it referred to as, as just lip filler. It contains injectable hyaluronic acid. Hi, in today's video, I'm going to be talking about an ingredient that you are probably already using in your skincare, whether you know it or not. I'm talking about hyaluronic acid. Which is actually a substance that's found naturally throughout the body. So you'll find it in your joints and in your eyes and in your skin. Um, and it attracts water, which creates that kind of plumping effect and adds a little bit of volume to your skin and, and smooths out lines and wrinkles. Hyaluronic acid isn't actually an acid. It's more of a sugar. In itself, it's a, it's a very low risk substance to use because it's, it's already it's, it's natural substance that's already found in the body. It's a clear gooey substance. It's mainly in our skin. However, connected tissues, eyes, it kind of lubricates joints. It's a really essential part of us as a physical body. For about the age of You've mentioned already the role that the Kardashians played in the growth of this obsession and changing our, our faces and our bodies to a certain style. But when did this frenzy reach Ireland? And also what role do TV shows like Love Island, for instance, have in shifting our perception of beauty to where it is now? When I spoke to um, the dermatologists and the plastic surgeons who I interviewed, they all said that they noticed this starting around sort of in the last five years. And I think, and it is just a hunch, but I think that it was Love Island actually that made it feel very attainable for, for ordinary people like us. Like the Kardashians are kind of always seen as almost a, a stereotype or a cartoon image of, of femininity. But I think that Love Island made people sort of look and, and feel as though that's a very achievable look. And I spoke to um, a doctor, Dr. Stephen Harris, who runs the Dr. Harris Clinic, and he, he likes to be referred to just as Dr. Harris um, in London about, um, you know, he's spoken out about actually what he calls the distorted perceptions of, of reality. Um, and he calls it, he refers to something that he calls perception drift, which is when your baseline for normal keeps shifting with repeated procedures. So he sort of identified um, this this perception drift that he was seeing in, in younger women that would come into his clinics who've lost touch with what an untouched, normal, quote unquote, human face looks like. And they're looking in the mirror and they're seeing their own um faces which, you know, they haven't had filler in a while or they haven't had filler ever in their lips and they think there's something wrong with them. Um, so it is, you know, when I spoke to Professor Katrina Ryan in the Institute of Dermatologists, she was talking about that as well. And, and she was talking about these studies where if you show a group of 20 people uh, photographs of lips and you ask them what's a normal size lip, generally speaking at the start of the study, they'll pick, you know, they'll pick what is a normal size lip. They'll pick something around the middle range. And then you show them repeatedly like larger, increasingly larger lip sizes. Uh, and you, you do this for a while and then you ask them again, now pick out an average size of lips and they'll pick out a much bigger uh, pair of lips than they would have in the beginning. You know, it, it's a process of adaptation. So, you know, if you're scrolling through Instagram all day long, if you're scrolling through and, and seeing image after image after image of these women with larger lips, 
then you start to look in the mirror, see your lips and think they look tiny. It, it's known that the more we see of these images, the more they start to look uh, normal to us. And I was really struck by that when I was doing this article because I started going on to Facebook and looking at some of these ads and some of the before and after. But it really struck me that after a while, I stopped noticing how extraordinary the finished product was. And I don't use the word extraordinary lightly. I mean, you know, to look at some of these photos, they are really quite cartoonish. The lips are are, are really, really exaggerated. Coming up. Are cosmetic fillers regulated and how risky are these procedures? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What about the doctors that you spoke to for this research, the people who are performing some of these procedures? How do you think they feel about how distorted our view of beauty is becoming? So the doctors that I interviewed across the board all said that they would have, you know, real ethical problems with treating much younger women. Um, and that, that while they think that filler is fantastic and it can have an incredible place in, you know, making people feel more confident about themselves and sort of refreshing themselves um, and adding a little bit of volume that may be lost through the aging process, that actually um, they would draw the line at, at offering some of these treatments. Um, and there are very good reasons for that, because it's not just a question. We've talked a lot about the aesthetics of it, but it's not just a question of taste. There are you know, risks associated with these treatments and with dermal filler. And, and the more you use of it, the greater the risks. You know, the big thing is if it was injected into a blood vessel um, and could block off the blood supply to a whole area that that blood vessel supplied. So, you know, you have death of the tissue, ulceration. It can be incredibly disfiguring. The more dangerous, again, is if a blocked um, a vessel going to, to the eye um, and, you know, cause blindness. So all of the doctors that I spoke to across the board said that they were really conscious, even though, you know, they're a fully qualified um, professor of dermatology or they're a plastic surgeon, that they're never not mindful of the risks. You know, everybody has, has different anatomy. So, you know, even as an expert, these things can happen. And, and the important thing 
And what makes somebody as an expert is knowing what to do when the conversation is still happening. One of my starting questions was, where is this happening and, and where are people getting it done? So I looked up on, on Facebook, um, just as a starting point, I put lip fillers into the search bar and I found that there is an absolutely booming marketplace in, in lip fillers and, and all kinds of fillers. Some of the people that are offering it um, are don't even have a beauty salon. They're, they're traveling around the country and they, they say things like, if you DM me on Instagram, I'll tell you where to come and we'll be in, in Limerick next week or we'll be in Cork next week, which is all well well and good until something goes wrong and then you need to go back to them to to get treatment or to find out what exactly it was that was injected into your face that has caused this problem. Um, so, you know, and, and the providers are often not qualified medical people. They're not doctors or nurses. They're, they call themselves things like cosmetologist or lip procedure expert or qualified lip technician. Um, and, and I suppose those, those are fairly meaningless titles, really. You know, they're not titles that you're going to find on, on the general um, medical register. So the other thing um, that that I discovered very quickly was that you can actually buy the fillers yourself uh, online. You can you can buy them on Facebook from directly from some providers. You can go on to places like Alibaba and you can you can buy them. So there's a booming grey market in fillers as well. Um, and they're not the recognisable brand names that you would find if you went to a dermatologist. You know, they, they carry the CE label, but in reality, actually, we know very little about what's in those products. Just going back to the people, the, the cosmetologists who are carrying out these procedures, where do they get the training to do this and how prepared are they if something goes wrong? So that's a really interesting question, actually. And, and one of the people that I interviewed for this, Professor Katrina Ryan from the Institute of Dermatologists, her attention was drawn to this whole kind of booming underground market in, in, in fillers. And I should say that although I'm describing it as a booming underground market, these practitioners are not doing anything wrong um, because because of a quirk in the law, they anybody can administer dermal filler. I could come into studio now with um, a, a, an ejectable hyaluronic acid and, and put it into your face and neither of us will be doing anything wrong. But Katrina Ryan noticed a couple of years ago that that there were weekend courses and and day long courses being run by beauticians for beauticians. Advertised online in Ireland, a weekend course, how to inject fillers. It was particularly for for lip fillers, um, if I recall. And um, and how would you know um, dramatically boost their revenue? You know, she's she's obviously highly qualified dermatologist, and she's fully aware of what all the risks are. So I suppose the qualified practitioners working in this field were looking at people like beauticians, seeing this as a potential revenue stream. Um, and we're just really worried that people were getting into it, both offering it and turning up for treatments and not understanding those risks. But as you said, this is all still legal. How is it possible if some of these products are, are so unregulated that there's no legalities around people carrying out these procedures? So... Botox, for example, which is the other thing that people think about when they think about injectable uh, treatments, Botox is very regulated and you have to be a qualified medical practitioner to administer Botox. So dental nurses can do it and dentists can do it. But beyond that, you, you need to be a doctor. Whereas, like I said, anybody can administer dermal filler. And it's because um, filler under something called the MDR, which is a medical devices regulation, filler is recognised as a medical device and not as a medicine. So because it's a medical device, anybody actually qualified or not um, is entitled to, to buy it and to use it. Now, what with the obvious solution said, you know, all of the doctors who I spoke to was that fillers should be made prescription only. Whether pharmaceutical companies would support that, I don't know. The only way to sort it out is to turn filler into a medicine. But then the people who make the fillers are never going to agree to that. 
if it's prescription based because you have a restricted audience, you've a restricted profile of people who can now get the stuff compared to the massive volumes of it that they can now sell online or wherever. As Sean Murphy and Katrina Ryan both pointed out, that if, if dermal filler goes wrong, the product that you need to dissolve it is prescription only. So while anybody can get dermal filler and apply it to somebody, if they have a problem and they need to dissolve it, they're not going to be able to get the product to do that. So you'll end up going to your emergency room. And, you know, and time is of the essence here. If somebody injects dermal filler into a face and, and, and it goes even a millimetre off course into the wrong place, you need to act really fast to get the solvent in there to dissolve that that uh, hyaluronic acid. You know, if you're injecting someone's tear talk, they say, I can't see out of my right eye, you're in trouble. Um, and you need to have a friendly eye surgeon fairly close to you or be proficient in injecting hyalase, which is the dissolver, in behind the eyeball. I mean, that's not for the faint-hearted. Certainly yeah. not for somebody who's unqualified. So it does seem kind of ironic that anybody can buy and use and administer dermal filler and they're not doing anything wrong. They're not breaking any law. But they can't get access to the product that you would need to administer to dissolve that hyaluronic acid if something was to go wrong. You did speak to one woman for this article who had a bad reaction after getting fillers injected in her face. Can you tell us what happened to her? Yeah, so one of the other things that can go wrong um, is, you know, everything can be done absolutely right. It can be good quality filler. It can be administered properly, but you could still have an allergic reaction. Um, so this woman that, that I interviewed she was offered um, a place as a sort of a model at a training session for professionals who wanted to learn how to use filler. Um, and she was initially absolutely delighted with the results. She was getting about €3,000 worth of, of filler, which is which is quite a lot. Um, and it was all going to be free. She wasn't going to have to pay for it. So she had her um, above her eyebrows done. She had the sides of her eyes done. She had uh, the sides of her nose and her lips done. And then about four months later, she started to get lumps over the left hand side of, of her eyes and then over her eyebrows. And initially she wasn't thinking of, of filler at all. So she went to her GP and she said, I've got some kind of infection and the GP prescribed an antibiotic, but it, it didn't work. And she went back and had more antibiotics. And um, the problem was sort of spreading. She started to get bruising around her eyes and then it came down onto her lip area. And as she said, it basically slowly travelled across her face. So three courses of antibiotics later, it was very obvious that the sites where this was occurring was where she had been injected with filler about four months previously. Mm. So she got in touch with the with the company that had administered it um, and she got an email back telling her, well, you signed a waiver. Sorry, we can't help. Kind regards. Um, and she said to me, I, I, you know, I felt like a piece of meat after that. And I'm not somebody who's very thin skinned, but she was just really, really upset uh, that they weren't willing to talk to her about you know, what might have happened or what she could do. So she went back to her GP who um, prescribed a steroid and it, it did clear it up. And she figured out that what she'd suffered from was a rare delayed onset hypersensitivity reaction. Um, and that's it was probably triggered by the fact that she suffers from some autoimmune conditions already. So, I mean, that would be very, very rare. But I suppose, you know, it, it, it does highlight that these are not necessarily procedures to be undertaken lightly. And among those who are trained in the area, dermatologists and plastic surgeons, how worried are they about the accessibility of the stuff as you said that you can just go online and buy this stuff for yourself if you want I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that there was widespread disquiet and alarm and and worry about the you know about the the widespread availability of dermal fillers and it wasn't just a case of oh the doctors would like to you know keep this booming market all to themselves definitely not I mean they were all fairly busy doing a whole wide range of treatments of which dermal fillers are just a small part but I think they're really worried about it because 
they know the risks and because they know how long they've had to train to become a, a qualified medical professional in the area that they work. And so to see people with no qualifications who've done maybe an afternoon course or a day long course or a weekend course, buying up fillers and setting up a clinic and offering the treatments to, to patients, um, you know, worries them. And, and also they've seen some of the after effects of it. So they're starting to see a sort of a steady flow of people coming into their clinics now going, I got fillers injected and, and look what's happened. It's gone, it's gone wrong. And I've ended up with, you know, the filler has migrated into, you know, the area between my upper lip and my nose and I've been left with this big lump. And can you help me? Can you can you fix it? And very often um, it was it was Professor Ryan who who described to me how she will say to them, look, you need to go back to the salon or the clinic and you need to find out what the name of the product that they injected was. Um, and, and quite often, the, the patient or the client can't get that information out of the clinic or sometimes they can't even make contact with the person who injected them. If I was making an appointment with a practitioner, should I be able to say what 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 product are you going to use on me? What what is what dermal filler do you have? Absolutely. It's your body and aside from everything else, you're 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 entitled to your information under the Freedom of Information Act. It should all be uploaded to your file. So you should absolutely know what there and you could even be given a lot number on the day you can even trace the actual batch if anything went wrong or whatnot too, if if you if you so wish. Um, and, you know, people like Professor Ryan and Dr. Murphy um, and the others that I spoke to, uh, Dr. Janice Brady as well, they're, they're all very aware of this grey market in fillers. And they're very aware that um, the HBRA has had to warn a number of times over recent years about products coming into the Irish market that are labelled CE, um, but they aren't actually, they're, they're not regulated by the European Union. Nobody's quite clear what's in them. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of alarming to them that they're, not only are these unqualified people injecting good quality dermal fillers into people's faces, but there are people with no qualifications injecting stuff that they're not quite even sure what it is and, and you know, what it's made up of. Um, one story that, that Professor Ryan told me that was really kind of alarming was, um, you know, a man, she was on the radio, I think, talking about this a few years ago and a man got in touch with her and he said that his own wife had sourced filler online and injected it into her own cheek. And she said that was just, you know, horrifying to her. That's how accessible it is. And I'm an experienced dermatologist and um, I would not inject my own filler into my own face either. And that just shows how little you know, that, that person knew about what she could do, where she could inject it. You know, it could have gone straight into a vessel. You can't see yourself where you're going or the blanching as, as you inject um, into your own face. We've spoken a lot about the physical risks of getting these fillers injected into your face, but what about the psychological risks? One of the things that really struck me while I was, you know, kind of looking through the Facebook ads and, and looking at all the clinics and, and places that, that are offering this is that dermal fillers are increasingly being marketed as, you know, a procedure that's not very much different to like a spray tan or gel nails, that it's just, you know, another step in, in your in your beauty routine. And obviously there's not much talk about the physical risks, but we know absolutely nothing about the psychological risks. What we can see, I think, is that there's a bit of a domino effect that somebody gets, you know, one feature on their face changed with filler. Uh, and then they start to look at all the other areas in their face where potentially they might like to, to change it as well or they might like to improve mm -hmm. it. So they might start with their lips, but then they might decide that they've got dark circles under their eyes and they'd like to get some filler injected into their tear trough or that they don't feel that their chin is, is prominent enough. So they'd like to get chin implants done or, you know, filler injected into the chin. Um, and we don't really understand, I think, what that does to people over time. But sometimes I think people forget what they used to look like or they lose sight of what they were hoping to achieve when they started on this journey of losing filler. And sometimes it takes a friend or a relative saying to them, you know, 
you've you've totally overdone it. You you, you don't look right anymore. I don't recognise you. We're going to go to a clinic and we're going to get this all taken out. And actually, that's that's an increasingly common thing now. Um, Professor Harris, who I interviewed in London, runs what he calls a normalisation clinic, where he basically reverses features um, that have been done elsewhere with fillers and, and tries to restore normality. And he told me that he treats about up to five people a day to try and um, to try and get them back to looking what they look like before they they started using fillers. But, you know, I went into some of these these Facebook groups where women were talking about having gone on this journey with filler and having sort of overdone it and having ended up hating how they look and then going and getting the filler dissolved, but also hating how they look when the filler is dissolved. And they're constantly trying to get back to their memory of what they used to look like. Um, and it's, it's quite difficult to do that, I suppose, because their skin has been so stretched that um, and, and maybe, you know, with time, natural age, the natural aging process has, has occurred as well. But a lot of these women felt that it was really, really difficult to get back to looking like what they used to look like. And, you know, so so it's kind of a vicious cycle. They start down this road of just wanting one or two things done and then they get more and more used to looking like that. And it's very tempting to just, you know, go for the next area and the next area. And I suppose we don't know because it's such a recent phenomenon what the long term psychological impacts might be. Jen, thanks so much as always. Thanks a million, Zurica. That's all for today. You can read Jennifer O'Connell's full report on lip fillers and other cosmetic procedures at irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 